Our sponsor for today's episode is March of Dimes. They are the leading nonprofit fighting for the health of all moms and babies through education, research, support, and advocacy. January is National Birth Defects Prevention Month. As part of their annual observation of this month, March of Dimes partners with the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention to generate awareness among women of childbearing age and families about actions they can take to help prevent birth defects. Join the conversation about National Birth Defects Prevention Month by following hashtag best for you, best for baby on social media and by visiting March of Dimes at marchofdimes.org forward slash BSIC. Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Today's episode features Danny Kilgore. She will be sharing her journey of experiencing two miscarriages, the loss of their son at 28 weeks, and the joy of their five-year-old daughter, Harper, reflecting on lessons learned and the importance of prenatal care, especially for birthing parents of color. Hi, Danny. Welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? We are doing well. Can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and your family? Yeah, so um, I'm Danny Kilgore. My I'm married. I've been married to my husband for 11 years. Uh, we have a five-year-old daughter. Her name is Harper Avery. Um, now, some people ask me, is it from? And the answer is yes, it is from uh, Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> it is from there. But uh, so yes, that my daughter's five. Um, we're originally from Atlanta, Georgia, and we moved to the Bay Area of California right outside of San Francisco about two and a half years ago. So we've landed here and we moved because I'm a pastor of a church. So I serve as an outreach and missions pastor at a church in San Rafael, California. And um, yeah, that's a little bit about me. <laughs> now you're going to be sharing two stories. Well, technically three stories, right? Um, tell us a little bit about how your pregnancies were. So um, I know in the beginning of the intro, I heard you say that um, <clears throat> I've experienced two miscarriages. Well, you know, throughout the time that I have gone through this journey, what I call a faith journey of becoming a mother, um, I've actually experienced now a total of four miscarriages. And so four miscarriages, two premature births, and a one that resulted in the death of my son um, living, as he lived in the NICU. And so, you know, my journey of my of motherhood started at, um, I guess, in 2010. My husband and I got married in 2009. November of 2009, and uh, we found out that we were we were pregnant in February of 2010. So we were really brand new in our marriage, and found out that I was pregnant. And so I was in my 20s. I was fairly healthy. I was um, a teacher at that time, um, and I was also a soccer coach. So I was in good health. Um, but um, I experienced a miscarriage early on and um, it was really devastating. And at that time we decided, okay, well, it's kind of new in our marriage, you know, maybe it just wasn't the right timing for us to, you know, have, pursue having a family. And so we decided to wait. And so we waited until about three years later in 2013. And that's when um, I found out I was pregnant again. And again, like I said, I was a teacher, I was a soccer coach, you know, in my 20s still working, um, very healthy, in no reasons to um, 
suspect that there be any issues. Um, I think when my first pregnancy, my doctor said, oh, it happens more often than you know you would think it would. So it's it's more common for women to have a miscarriage, especially early, early in the um, pregnancy, because I was about seven weeks at when I had my first miscarriage. And so um, I was pregnant, we're excited. We found out that it was gonna be a boy. I mean, it was a joy. And we named him, we said we were gonna name him William Jr. And so um, after my husband. And so we were really excited. And um, I remember around say 20 weeks or so, I was experiencing spotting. And um, then almost to light, almost like a light period. So it went from spotting to like a light period. And so I went into the hospital, I, mean, I went to my doctor's office. Um, they did some tests, ran them, came back. They couldn't find anything that was wrong. And so we looked at it as, okay, well, praise God. It's a praise report. We're gonna you know, keep trusting God that everything's okay. And then um, you know, further down the line, around 23 weeks, I started to have these really severe headaches. I would wake up lightheaded, um, it was migraine headaches, like to the point where I felt like my head was about to explode. And I didn't know what was happening. And I called my doctor. Um, they thought I was, they thought I was, you know, going through, um, you know, maybe just some dehydration. And they said, just drink water, lay down, things like that. And, but I know my mother taught me very early on to be very in tune with my body. And so, you know, I knew that something wasn't right. I could tell, I could sense it, something is not right. But the more I tried to share it with my doctor, it was almost as if I was being dismissed. And so one day I woke up and I was having dizzy spells and I, I felt faint and my husband said, let's just go to the doctor. And so we went to my OB, she was not there. And they kept telling me that, you know, oh, your OB's not here today. Um, we'll send you home with a test and maybe you could take it over a series of three or four days. I think it was some test, a urine test of some sort. And I was very adamant. I was like, no, something's wrong and I cannot leave. My blood pressure is extremely high. Um, they wasn't, they weren't really listening. And it, I was, it was getting to the point to where I was being more aggressively, I, um, um, adamant about being seen by a doctor. Like I, I remember telling them, I'm not leaving until a doctor sees what's happening because something's wrong. And so the nurses chattered in the background and then they came back and another doctor came out. And he, I guess he's like, ah, oh, I'll find, I'll, I'll check her out. Um, and so we went in the back, we checked my blood pressure and it was 156 over 107. And extremely high. And so at that point, he told me and my husband to go straight to the hospital. He's already called ahead for me to go there and he would meet me there. And so when we got there, they checked us in and we found out that I was um, experiencing preeclampsia. And um, they said that as a result of that, that I would have to remain in the hospital until the I've reached full term. And so at that point, I, like I said, I was 23 weeks. And it was, and I'm like doing the math on my fingers. Like, that's like one, two, three. Like, that's a lot of months to be in a hospital bed. Like, wow. Okay. And so, but I was committed. And so my husband and I were like, okay, this is what we got to do. So what we have to do. I mean, at that time I spent my birthday in the hospital. I missed my best friend's wedding. I mean, it was, I was in the hospital for this time. And it was with the hopes that I would be there for um, full, until I reached full term. 
Um, but unfortunately I didn't reach full term because at 28 weeks, um, I was awakened out of my sleep by one of the nurses. And she said that um, she was reading some, she was getting like some messaging on her side or whatever. And they told me to go down, they took me downstairs to um, the high risk, um, audi I mean, uh, not audiologist, a high risk uh, prenatal person, whatever it is, I'm no doctor, I don't know these terms. <laughs> but they sent me down there. And um, that's when they had discovered that my placenta had completely stopped working. And my placenta stopped pumping blood to my son and his heart rate had dropped significantly so much to where they had to do emergency C-section. And at 28 weeks, they did a uh, classical cesarean, which is the opposite of what they would like to do. Um, it's the type of C-section um, that they cut um, vertically instead of horizontally. And um, they did that was one, because of my, my blood pressure was extremely high to, to take off the, they, this is what they told me to take off the, uh, I guess the, the um, stress off of my son whose heart rate had dropped so significantly and because of his size, um, he was less than a pound when he was born. And so on September 19th, 2013, uh, I gave um, birth to my son via cesarean section and um, he um, went straight into the NICU. His lungs were extremely um, underdeveloped, extremely underdeveloped. And so he was placed on the oscillator immediately. Um, I was pumping milk so that he could have milk uh, so he, they could feed him to a, feed, uh, a, a feeding tube. Um, I was, my husband and I lived about 45 minutes away from the hospital. So we were traveling back and forth, back and forth almost daily. I'd stopped working as a teacher so that I could be there with my, um, my son more, more consistently while my husband worked and things, you know, started to seem like they were going up. Like think he had been taken off the oscillator. He was gaining weight. He was opening his eyes and he was responding to our voices and things seemed like they was going, everything seemed like it was going well until um, October 31st, he got pneumonia and his lungs just completely collapsed and they had to resuscitate him and they brought him back to life and they put him back on the, um, on the breathing machine again. And at that point, he just, it, it was like, that was his, his fight was kind of gone. And um, my husband and I, we talked about, you know, what would it look like if, you know, if he were to make it out of this, would this be, um, you know, the best life for our son? Would he, you know, what would this look like for him? For for us, we were willing to do whatever it meant. That meant we we picked him up and put him down, took him to the whatever it took. That's our child. But for us, we were just thinking about the um, his life, the life that he would have, and if that would be something that you know was, was um, the best. And so uh, we talked to doctors, and doctors gave us feedback and gave us advice. And so you know, we we continued to fight on. But um, unfortunately, on November 8th, um, he, his heart rate dropped again, his lungs collapsed, and um, they couldn't bring him back. And so uh, he passed away November 8th of 2013. And that was extremely, extremely hard for us. Um, I, I know faith as faith for us, this is a big deal. Our faith in God, our faith in Christ is so huge for us. But... Um, 
it would be unrealistic to, for me to say that that wasn't a turning point for me. It wasn't a turning point for me and my husband. And it was because we, we didn't know what that meant or, or anything. It was tough. It was really hard. And so it wasn't, it was only by the grace of God, only by our friends and our family, our church members, uh, therapy, group sessions that we were able to get back, feel the hope again. And in 2013 is also when we got connected to March of Dimes. Um, you know, I enjoyed March of Dimes helped me to find hope in my story. And it didn't make it seem like it was a, a struggle or I was something was wrong with me. Being able to meet all these different women that said, oh, this happened to me. This was my story. Um, you found comfort in knowing that you weren't alone. And so um, I had a group of women that we, we had like a group chat together that I met in um, my uh, group therapy and we called it our new normal. And we all made sure that we were together and that we hoped together and we prayed together that one day maybe it'll happen. And if it didn't, then, you know, we would be there white with each other. So in 2014, I got pregnant again and then I miscarried. And then I think at that point is when I made up in my mind that, okay, maybe um, bearing children of my own was not, um, what was is not in my story you know when I was in college I had this I'd written out this whole plan I'm going to be married by 23 have my first child at 26 and next one at 28 but you know that is the picture perfect what you see in the movies type of story and that's not everyone's story and so um you know I was okay with with just it being me and my husband. And so we were preparing for it to be just us and what life would look like with just me and him and how that would um, look for us. And then in 2015, I found out, I mean, we went on a vacation to Las Vegas and we found out everything that happens in Vegas does not stay in Vegas. <laughs> Some things come back with you. So <laughs> I found out that um, I was pregnant and, at this time, and let me say that when I was pregnant in 2013, I had, I was in a pri, I was with a private uh, doctor's office that was in a, you know, a pretty affluent neighborhood um, in Atlanta. It was um, in, in a, a city called Alpharetta. And so um, I, I went there on purpose because I wanted to seek out what I thought would be best care, top care, because of the services that I, or the reviews that I had heard about this doctor's office. Um, but in 2015, when I got pregnant with my, um, my daughter, I was with Kaiser. And, you know, I, I've said before, you know, I don't mean to plug in Kaiser, but I had an extremely different experience. And I had doctors of color at that time. And they saw me they started asking questions. Okay, tell me what you eat. How's your exercise? You know, do you have this? I mean, they started asking all these different questions. Okay, well, at this, what's your blood type? Okay, well, we're gonna do, give you this shot to prepare for this. Okay, what about, um, are you taking prenatal vitamins? Okay, you need to start um, taking, take these types of prenatal vitamins. We're also gonna start yeah. you with, um, um, what is it, um, baby aspirin. That's gonna help slow. I had like three doctors that I was had, that I had at that time. And I was at a doctor's office almost every week. It was very different than my, my experience was very different this time around than it was the before. Now, I'm not sure if this is just it was this way because our um, because of what happened with my son or if it was this way because 
these doctors saw me as a mother and saw me as someone who needed a certain level of care, saw me as um, a, a mother that was worth going the extra mile for, extra effort for. I don't know what it was, but I had a very different experience with them. And um, at 35 weeks, my daughter was born. Um, they, it was a, they opted to bring her early because they're, after one um, you know, test that they did, they saw that uh, a slight decrease in her heart rate. It wasn't something that was significant, but it was slight enough to where they made the decision, okay, it's 35 weeks, she's well enough, she's gonna be big enough, she may have to stay in the NICU for a few days, but that's okay, she will be healthy. And so I had another um, classical cesarean, and that was just because of, I had the first one, and as a result, um, to keep my uterus from rupturing, they decided to keep doing it from now on. And she was born on um, July 15th, 2015, and she uh, came in weighing a little under four pounds and she was healthy. And so she didn't need to be in a breathing machine. She just needed to be fattened up. And so, um, you know, I just ate a little bit more grits, you know, <laughs> to cut a little more grits, a little bit more potatoes. <laughs> so when I gave her the breast milk, it thickened her up a little bit. I'm, we're from the South. So, you know, we put a <laughs> little cornbread in the milk a little bit. <laughs> But so, yeah, so she just got she just needed to get a little bit more thicker. <laughs> That's what my husband said. But um, we did find out, though, um, as a result of her being born prematurely, she um, was born with sensory neural hearing loss. And so that just means that the um, the audio fibers in her ear that kind of tell you to vibrate sound, some of them either didn't develop or they developed and they died as a result of her being born early. So she does wear bilateral hearing aids. But other than that, my daughter, um, she's doing well. She, she does so well in school. She's five now and she's reading, which is surprising because we go through some speech therapy. And so, you know, a child with a hearing loss and being able to read and you know what she's saying, I mean, it's a miracle. And so for us, it, you know, our journey to become a parent, my journey to become a mother, was um, a trying one, was a faith-filled one. But my daughter for us is definitely a sign that uh, miracles do happen. And um, we're excited about it. We decided to try again. And um, in 2018, I experienced another miscarriage. And this time is a little further along. It was, I was at almost 13 weeks when that happened. And um, that's when these doctors here in California did tests and went to specialists and things like that. And so, um, again, <laughs> I, I switched my doctor again at that time. I, in 2018, I had a, a white doctor. And I, and, and I don't mean to sound like black, white, whatever, whatever. This is just my experience. This is experience that I've had at that when I had a, you know, a white doctor, I, the care was different. Now and then, so after I had that miscarriage, it, I don't know, it, it, it was almost um, looked at as, oh yeah, that happens. Um, statistics were given to me about African-American mothers um, having miscarriages and things like that. And for me to um, consider um, going to a specialist and things like that. And, and, and I think that's okay to, to say, but um, I don't know. I, I think I wish I, I wish that doctor had of taken a moment to be human for a, for a second versus just straight to the medical side. 
Um, I decided to switch my doctor from a doctor here near San Francisco to a doctor that's now in Oakland. And um, I've shared with her my story, my history. And from that, from the very moment that I walked in her office, I felt seen, I felt heard. Um, she, I felt like she cared. Um, I've experienced another miscarriage since then. And the first thing she said was, I'm so sorry. I know how devastating this is and I know how much you wanted this. And so I wanted to acknowledge that I know this is tough and this is hard. And if you wanna continue trying, I'm here with you. And that and doctor didn't, no doctor said that to me, but that said that you saw me as human, you saw me as an individual and you saw me as someone who has feelings and who has hurt, who this could hurt. And so, I don't know, I just, I, you know, moving here has been a great thing for us. Um, it's been a blessing, but I do, I do miss having access either to doctors and healthcare providers of color, or at least healthcare providers that understand that, you know, um, the level of care that you provide for one person that looks one way may be different for someone else because the body, their body types are different or their body chemistry is different or whatever it is. So, um, so yeah, but other, like, other than that, you know, my, we're, we're excited to continue to try. We're going to try again and we'll see what God has in store. I mean, all else, if it doesn't work out the way we, um, we're hoping to, you know, there's another option that, you know, our country is filled with babies that are looking, that babies and children that need homes, that need families, and we're not opposed to adopting. And so we'll see what happens. So yeah, and I'm sorry for this very long-winded answer. <laughs> no, that's your story. <laughs> that's all a part of it. Yeah. No, thank you. Um, you know, you said your, your faith journey of becoming a mother and I just, you can, you, you, you can hear that in your story. Um, I love the determination, the, the finding the doctors that are able to meet you where you are. Like you said, that human experience, like you lost mm -hmm. a child. Yeah. And so let's start there. Like, right. how are you? How are you healing? What can we do to support you in that healing? Mm -hmm. Um, and then we can move to the other side of, of that, right. but um, tapping into that human part of you that this was something you weren't, you know, like that, that, mm -hmm. okay, yeah, it might happen, but I didn't want it to happen to it me. Happened to me, Yeah. Um, so acknowledging that first is so important. Um, and thinking about, you know, um, all the, the changes and, um, you know, all the things that you're, 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 you're caring when you're having your children and, and, and the loss of your children, you know, you said that you, you know, your faith is really important to you all. What, what has helped you in your healing? I know um, you said March of Dimes was one of having that as a resource was um, something that's been really important, but what, you know, what have you done for your healing and what are you continually doing for your healing as of now? Yeah. So um, I have a therapist and I have a, and I have a spiritual director, um, and then I also have um, people who I consider to be mentors for me, uh, mentors in different areas of my life. And so um, I reach out to my tribe 
of, or my family, my family of support, sisters of support that helped me through that. But I think that um, my therapist and my spiritual director are the two that have really helped me um, get through this. I, I, I just, it wasn't until this year during COVID that um, I realized that I actually had not mourned, fully grieved the loss of my son. And I thought I did, but I didn't. I had not allowed myself to fully grieve the loss of my son, fully grieve the loss of the children that I never got to meet. Um, like those are losses. And it was this year, well, you know, every anniversary of my son is, you know, it's, it, it, it varies, you know, sometimes, you know, I can get through the day and it's just fine. Sometimes, you know, I am crying and I just wanna go lay down or, eat chocolate until I just, you know, anything, I don't know, it, 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 it varies. But this year and around his anniversary was really hard. And I couldn't understand why it was so hard. And um, as I was processing that with my therapist, she, 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 she shared with me, you know, and, and as, she was, as I was processing that, I said something like, gosh, I was just, I, I would, I, you would think I'd be over this by now. That's what I said. And she said, what do you, what do you mean you would be over this? What does that mean? You lost a child. You lost a child. Your son died. And it was that, that it just, it was like a light bulb. Like, right. What am I thinking? What would I, how could I, how could I think that is something you could get over? That's not, you know, you expect that your parents will one day pass away. You expect that your grandparents, if you're married one day, your spouse or you may live, may go on, but it's your children that you don't, that's not something you're prepared for. That's not the, the, the natural order of things. And so that type of trauma does affect you in a way. And then to add on to that, you know, the fact that, you know, I lost, you know, children, I've had these miscarriages, those are losses as well. And so, you know, having the, those, those places, that space to be able to process that with my, my uh, therapist, then being able to process that with my spiritual director and seeing where, is, where do I see God in this? How is God helping me to heal? What is, what do you think God is saying to you in this moment? Um, what is it that God is inviting you to to do? And and at that moment, I felt like you know God was inviting me to to not be afraid to be sad. It's okay to be sad. Be sad. It's okay. Give it to me. I'll hold it. I can handle it. Um, and then my husband. You know, I I think I don't know. For me, I never. I don't want my husband to to feel like oh my wife is you're all oh, you're hurting. But that's what he's there for. When I'm hurting, he's there to care and support and vice versa. And so, um, yeah, I think that, you know, having those, those, those solid foundational spaces where I can process, where I can let, like you said in the beginning, cry, cuss, throw, whatever I need to do to let it out, um, I have that. And so that's what I, I had then, that's what I have now, and that's, why I'm even able to have this conversation with you about all of this that's happening to me because I've had that time to process it. I've had those spaces where I can heal from it. And, you know, with March of Dimes, 
um, I, I joined March of Dimes and I became, I started doing a March of Dimes walk in March of Dimes team because I wanted, I didn't want, I wanted my, uh, the death of my son and the loss of the children that I never got to meet to be, to have value, to have, to mean something, to represent more than just a death. And so for me, you know, walking in honor of them shows that this is happening too often and something needs to be done. People are saying the statistics, but you don't hear the statistics of the change that has happened as a result. Like people give me the statistics of African-American mothers and African-American babies all the time. But what I don't hear is, and as a result of these statistics, we are doing X, Y, and Z. And so for me, me walking, me sharing my story, it's my hope that someone would hear this and say, you're right this does need to change. And I have been given the wisdom or the knowledge or the education to make something happen. And so, um, you know, that these are kind of the things that help me uh, heal from what has happened. I wish you, I, I'm like sending you an air hug. I just, Aww. that's what I'm doing right now. That's, I know, I know. <laughs> that's what I'm doing. Like all of it, like um, your journey, your reasons for sharing your journey, um, mm -hmm. being able to share your journey. Like we tell people all the time, um, share when you're ready. And like you mm -hmm. said, taking the space and, and the time to really sit with all the emotions you needed to and process through to be in a place to share it. Um, yeah. Because, you know, right after you might not be ready and that's okay. Um, but there can be so much, there can be so much healing and there can also be so much um, support that you're able to offer to someone else by sharing your experience. Mm -hmm. um, so just thankful Thank to, you. to be in this space with you while you do that. So, yeah. no, and I wanted to go back to where you were describing your experience with different providers um, and the, the pause in it where you say like, I'm not trying to call it out as black and white, like it is what it is. And so um, here we call a spade a spade. Uh, so, um, because it's those thoughts like when we get in front of other audiences and we like kind of excuse it in a sense by just saying those simple words, like, oh, I don't, it may not necessarily have been a black or white, but this is my experience, blah, blah, blah. We don't have to validate that. Like you in there, when you had white people taking care of you, it was not the best care. You went right. in another space, you had black people taking care of you and you were treated better. You yeah. have a better experience. You can come out and talk about it. And now when we get this extra validation that's coming out now that black women have better outcomes when they have black doctors <laughs> deliver their babies. Like that yeah. is now the new research that everybody's talking about. Who could have told them that how many years ago? Black women. And so the research is what comes right out of our mouths because we're valid there. Like we experienced it, it's true and we know it. And so that is what it is. Our, you know, what's in us in our DNA is to survive. And so yeah. we can call it out when we see it, heal it, hear it or feel it anywhere. And that yeah. is true. I don't care what anybody says. Yeah. You know, when we walk in spaces where we can be taken care of properly or when we yeah. need to leave. Right, right, right. And, you know, and it's, and it's, um, it's interesting because, you know, I, I share that, you know, I was so young. Like I was, I mean, I was in my twenties. 
So I didn't know how to articulate what was happening at that time. I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to call or call out what I was experiencing. Now that I'm older, you know, I'm a little bit more, I'm, I'm a, a bit more red. I understand terminology. I understand, oh yeah, that was a microaggression. Oh yeah, that was what she was doing. Oh, they were definitely discriminating against me. Oh, did she assume that I was on like a certain, like I was on a certain um, health insurance and that's why they were treating me this way? And even if I was, so what? Like I'm a person, like, I, you know, I, then I didn't know. I was like, oh, okay, okay. My doc, my one of my really good friends is a doctor. She's Filipino, and she said, um, she started talking to me about my story. And she said, well, did you ask this, or did they tell you this, or did you ask this? And I said, no, no, no. I didn't know to ask this. Even the fact that I didn't even have access to my rights as a as a as a patient, my rights as a mother, a mother to be. I didn't know. I didn't know any of those things. And so um, even that, them treating me like, uh, oh, she's just a, she's, she doesn't know what she's talking about. It's probably nothing. We'll, we'll send her home with, with three, with some tests to take. She'll be fine. And had I not, had I not, I guess, been more irate and more, uh, or, you know, stern about not leaving, had I went home, who knows what I've ha would have happened? You know, I, I, you know, I've done my reading on uh, preeclampsia and how it could turn from preeclampsia to eclampsia, which can be um, fatal. And I, you know that you're a doctor. What blood pressure of any one fifty six blood pressure for anyone, pregnant or not, is not is a sign of hmm. Maybe we need to check this out. I'm telling you this, it's worth just trying. And they and they didn't, they, they really didn't. I needed to reassess where I was. I needed to figure out what was happening and I didn't have the tools at that time to do that. All I could say was, this don't feel right. I know something's wrong. And I in my mind, I know you're labeling me as the angry black woman, but if that's what it takes for me to be put into care, then so be it. And sure enough, oh, it is something wrong with her. She's telling the truth. Well, yeah, I am. You know, and the other thing is that, you know, learning here that, you know, oftentimes, you know, when as African-Americans, when we say this is, we're feeling pain, we're feeling some discomfort, that it is dismissed because of the myth that African-Americans can withstand more pain than say white people can. And so they choose to kind of dismiss it as oh it's okay and so um yeah I, I i just think that all of those are are signs and so you know i am careful because i don't you know i don't always want to say something that's racist that's racist that's racist i'm not i don't want to be that person but you're right if a spade is a spade is a spade if a dog a quack like a duck walk like a duck look like it got feathers must be a duck. So it's a duck. Must be a duck. So it's a duck. Right. And like well, Danielle my... said, in this space, we gonna always just be honest about what it is because yeah. too many times elsewhere we can't be. So yeah, I heard a lot of ducks. <laughs> 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 
quack. <laughs> you made me think of an old comedian. She's going to get quack, quack. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So yeah, so it, I mean, I appreciate a space like this, and I appreciate this opportunity to share and what you two are doing because these stories are not shared as often. Um, I it wasn't until my son passed away that friends from college um, started reaching out to me, saying, "Oh, this happened to me." Um, old roommates saying, "Yeah, that happened to me just this past month." My neighbor, um, she didn't know why we were gone. Uh, for so long, she assumed that we had had the baby. So she put um, uh, diapers on our on our doorstep. And so when we came mm. back from the hospital one day, I, I shared with her and she was like, oh, you know, hmm, that happened to me. I had twins. Like, you don't know. And, and, and I think that, you know, miscarriages and um, pregnancies, I mean, a premature birth that uh, result in, in death, um, stillbirths, those aren't things that you talk about, but they should be because they help heal women. They help you feel like you are still a part of society. So, so, so um, often in our, in our history was a woman's worth based off of her ability to bear children and how many children she could bear. And if you couldn't, then you were seen as cursed or you were seen as, um, yeah, cursed by God, or you had a certain spirit in you, you know? And that, I, I feel like there are hints of that still today. Maybe not in those specific words, but there mm -hmm. are still hints of that, that if you're a woman that can't, that's had a miscarriage, or you're a woman that's had a, you know, premature birth, or you can't get pregnant, like you're seen as less than a woman. If you've had a cesarean, you're less than a woman if you had like, all of these different things. And, and I think that more women should be willing to come out and share their stories with pride, you know, with a sense of pride and hope, you know, honesty about the struggle, honesty about the pain that you've experienced, but that you're still a woman, you're still worthy, and you're still a mother. I was a mother before I had children. I was a youth pastor. I was a teacher. Yeah, I was a whole bunch of kids surrogate mama. So, you know, a mother, I, I, I have friends that um, are right now struggling to get pregnant and I say happy Mother's Day and they say, oh, Danny. And I'm like, you're, you're not a mother. A mother is, is not always someone who births you. Like, you know, in the black community, I got a whole bunch of women that I call mama. Mama, you, because it's all about the care that you provide for people. And so it's a sense of mothering, you know, my God in heaven is not just my father. He's also a mother to me at times. And so it, I just think that more women should be willing to share, should be given the opportunity to share their story in a, and feel like it's not because you're sharing it because you're sharing the pain of it. But you're you're actually sharing the hope in it, and there's hope in it. That that pain and hope can can occupy the same space. Joy and sorrow can occupy the same space. It just depends on which one is taken up the most. And so sometimes one stretches out a little bit further in the bed, and you scoot that one over if it's grief, and say scoot over. Joy needs a side too. So you know, yeah, I think I appreciate women like you two who give this a platform to speak about. 
I just went to church. Come on now. now. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> right. I'm just putting up my crafty fanny. <laughs> Wait a minute. sad and smile at the same time and it not be fake right mm-hmm. right oh y'all <laughs> is there anything else that you want to share with listeners resources advice just anything well, else you want to leave them with sure I, i'll say that you know um January is, you know, as we're talking, I mentioned March of Dimes a few times. Um, January is um, the month of uh, birth defects awareness month. And so, um, like I talked about with my my daughter, she does have um, a hearing loss as a result of prematurity, but there are also birth defects that um, babies are born, that can be born with. But, you know, some, not all of them can be prevented, but there are some that can be prevented when you take um, a few extra steps and do a little extra care as a um, soon-to-be mama. And so the March of Dimes and CDC, the Center of Disease and Control, they collaborated to put together a website to educate mothers to be on ways that they can, um, on tips they can use to kind of, to prevent some of these birth defects from happening. If you want to know more, you can go to marchofdimes.org forward slash birth defects, and you can learn more about that. Today's episode is sponsored by March of Dimes in conjunction with their campaign with the CDC, an annual observation of National Birth Defects Prevention Month. We are welcoming Dr. Rahul Gupta to tell us a bit more about this. Hello, Dr. Gupta. Welcome to the show. Hello, and thank you for having me. Wonderful. Can you start by telling a little bit about yourself and your family? Certainly, Laurel. Uh, So I'm a practicing internist and a public health physician. I serve as a chief medical and health officer of March of Dimes and and the senior vice president. Uh, Prior to that, I was the health commissioner for the state of West Virginia, served two governors there. And prior to that, I have been a local health officer, but also have worked in communities as small as 850 people to as large as 25 million people and have worked in very rural parts of this country as well as across the world as well. Round of applause for all of that. (laughs) That is absolutely amazing. That's wonderful. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about uh, March of Dimes for those who may not be familiar um, and the support that they provide for families? Certainly, uh, March Dimes is a time-tested uh, American organization that has, through founded by uh, a sitting president FDR in 1938, when we were battling polio, uh, certainly helped fund the initial polio vaccine and conduct those trials and ensure that we could eliminate polio both from this country and most of the face of Earth at this point. Um, we have uh, worked since then to look at and study birth defects, uh, newborn errors, um, and other aspects that impact people, but especially that impact 
um, women across the country and across the globe. Uh, we've done a lot of work in folic acid. We've done a lot of work in prematurity as well as maternal health. And right now, what we're, um, our goal is to really uh, end the preventable maternal deaths as well as the preventable uh, infant deaths and preterm birth, but with a lens of equity. One of the things that we um, clearly see every day happen across the country is the inequitable outcomes that result from inequitable systems in communities uh, when it comes to the most vulnerable population amongst us, which is mom and babies. And we know that oftentimes a civilization would be known by the way we take care of this particular population. And we just, we, we're out there, we're saying, we're not doing the best we can, but we have opportunity and we have hope that uh, we can improve the health of all moms and babies. But we do that by starting to look at from the lens of equity. Dr. Gupta, how are birth defects defined and how might this show up for a family? Certainly, Danielle. Um, birth defects are can be structural or it could be intellectual, but these are changes that affect uh, you know, either one of the one or more parts of the body, um, or they can help. Uh, they can happen when you're growing up and have intellectual disability as well. Um, so clearly, our bodies. You know, one of the things that happens in the mother is the first three months is a time that most of the organ development is happening for the baby, and a number of causes uh, that we could talk about uh, that includes your genetics, your behaviors some of the social and environmental factors, including drugs, will place that, uh, that mother and the baby at the risk of these birth defects. Um, so um, these could be, some people would know them, like um, congenital heart disease, cleft lip, cleft palate, um, a cleft foot. Those are the kind of things that we know and we see it because we've seen it in children. But then there could be intellectual disabilities as well. Um, so they can happen where you can see them as structural, but they can also happen in terms of intellectual disability as well. And so what are some key aspects of preparedness that families can do to increase their chances of having um, a healthy full-term pregnancy and baby? You know, the first thing we always talk about is how to prepare your body for pregnancy to begin with. And we know far too many people today become pregnant, unplanned, or they're not aware. We're doing a better job than we did way back, but we still have ways to go. So the first thing is, if you're thinking about, or you think you could be pregnant, begin to prepare your body. That includes eating right. That includes, if you are overweight, to make sure that your, um, your weight is most optimum for you, because obesity is also related to some of the birth defects. It also includes making sure that you're not smoking, uh, you're not drinking alcohol, because all of these things we talk about can often lead to poor outcome for your baby and really a lifelong issue sometimes. Um, and the other thing that's very important that we've done a lot of work in, along with right weight and right exercise, is to make sure uh, that you're taking the right folic acid. And folic acid is a type of B vitamin. And, um, you know, if you take, we know about 400 micrograms of folic acid every day, um, then you can ensure your baby's proper development and growth. 
So that's very important. When you're looking at the bottle off the shelf, you wanna make sure it says 400 micrograms, it also says 100%. Um, there are foods that you could take, natural forms such as green vegetables, beans, orange juice, um, that also have folic acid. And some of the breads and some of the other foods are also fortified like corn masa, flour, and cornbread and others, tortillas. They also have um, folic acid, but folic acid is a very important nutrient when preparing for pregnancy and going through pregnancy. Is there anything else that you wanted to share with our listeners, any resources or additional advice that to help them? Yeah, so so in addition to uh, some of the advice that uh, we've been discussing, you know, how can we participate, all of us? Well, um, I can tell you that um, the theme for our National Birth Defects Prevention Month 2021 is best for you, best for your baby. And it's important to, you know, pay attention to yourself. Uh, know that, you know, birth defects happen by one in 33 babies born in the United States. And there's a lot of challenges in terms of uh, inequities and, and access. So we want to make sure that you are taking uh, doing everything you can to uh, avoid, although they're not completely preventable, but you could do a lot. And if you do need help, um, there is a uh, 800 number to get help in terms of smoking um, or um, substance use um, or, or alcohol. It's 800-662-HELP. That's 1-800-662-4357. You can always visit our website at marshadimes.org and get a plethora of information and guidance. Uh, we have so many people visiting our website to learn more about what you can do to stay healthy and, and have safe and healthy pregnancy outcome. So it's very important. Getting yourself checked up is also very important. Make sure that you're trying to get to your goals, uh, make sure you get your pre-pregnancy checkup, even if you've had babies before. That doesn't mean that uh, we know everything what to do. We feel that way sometimes, I do, uh, but it's very important still to get checked out. Now you mentioned um, the folic acid. That's something that's big and one thing that I know that I've always carried from March of Dimes and understanding that. Are there any things that block that from being absorbed into the body when people are trying to ingest it, whether through, you know, supplements or through their food? Yeah, so it's very important. So first of all, folic acid is a type of B vitamins I mentioned. It can, the deficiency of which can really cause major birth defects of the baby's brain and spine. So it's very important to follow the label basically on the bottle uh, to, uh, to take it. Uh, and there are other fat of, um, aspects of this, as I mentioned, there's other foods we can do it. So it's because it's a part of your natural diet also, um, you know, it's very, very pretty much natural and you don't have to worry about a lot of interactions and other things. However, uh, you wanna make sure that you're following the labels in the bottle and you're just making sure that you're getting at least 400 micrograms. I mean, you don't want to get too much of it either, uh, but it's one of those things that you want to ensure your diet has 400 micrograms uh, as 100% that allows you to then your baby to develop appropriately. Of course, you want to continue to get checked out uh, from your provider to make sure that, you know, you're watching your iron, you're watching your other vitamins, your health, is all of the factors we talked about. Um, but this is def definitely one that we have had a long history of, we worked on, and we're working across the globe on this issue. And when you do get checked, um, like you said, when people check their iron levels and things, what's the actual test that would let someone know that they were low? 
Yeah, so it's a blood test, mm-hmm. uh, especially they, they will check your, what they call CBC, uh, complete blood count. You go to your doctor's office, uh, amongst the other things that they check you for when you, when you get in your first prenatal visit or your general physical sometimes when you're preparing for pregnancy. So they'll, they'll check that, they'll show if there's any deficiency, uh, any other abnormal counts. But you know, this is part of, that's the reason we wanna go to your providers and get checked if you're planning to, or as early as you get pregnant. So one of the things is we've seen that the later people go, they put off the visits, the, the, the outcomes aren't as good. Uh, because there's a ton of things you need to be doing in the first trimester. And when we have about half the pregnancies in this uh, country are planned, that means that a lot of people miss their first trimester visits. And that does is not a good thing. That means that we have poor outcomes to begin with. So um, especially in, in our communities of color, it's very important uh, to make sure that either you're planning pregnancy or the sooner that you can get into a provider's office, you know you're pregnant, the better it is. It's not something that's just going to naturally happen. Um, right. Don't delay it. Um, look out for yourself. Uh, and you do that because you're looking out for your baby. And so those things are very important. Right. I, that makes me think about um, how insurance providers don't really want you to come in prenatally before a certain amount of weeks. So if someone knows they're pregnant and their OB won't see them yet for their pregnancy, they can still go to their regular doctor to get a CBC. Um, so I think that's, you know, something to note and to think about for people just because the OB won't see you yet doesn't mean that you can't get that stuff checked. Exactly. You can get checked. Um, you can look for, you know, there's lots of things when you are diagnosed pregnancy that the resources that could come on to help you. And it's very important to get diagnosed. Um, you know, uh, I say diagnosed the clinician, but what that means is when you find out you're pregnant, it's very important as soon as you find out to get help uh, because there's a lot of resources that are available. Um, it's the lack of knowledge of those resources that often leads to poor outcomes. So uh, get informed, get to know. And if there's someone else that you've relied on, you trust that, that not, could tell you more about resources, then talk to them. But the, the last thing you could do is know you're pregnant and not talk to anybody uh, because you're missing out on not just what's available, but also it's for your baby at the end of the day. And, and those first three months are so critical in the organ development, in the brain development, that they, can't, they don't come back. So, so it's irreversible at that point. So um, if there's one message, which is as soon as you get pregnant and you know privately you're pregnant, you gotta talk to somebody. And if you're planning, then you gotta talk to somebody and get the help. Help is available. Uh, it's just a matter of making sure that you prioritize that. And, and I hear, I mean, I understand life's not easy these days, but gotta do it. Absolutely, absolutely. Prioritize yourself and your baby. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, for your time and your knowledge. Um, we really, really appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, thank <laughs> you, Daniel. To, well. Color. to hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesandcolor.com. Our sponsor for today's episode is March of Dimes. They are the leading nonprofit fighting for the health of all moms and babies through education, research, support, and advocacy. January is National Birth Defects Prevention Month. As part of their annual observation of this month, March of Dimes partners with the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention to generate awareness among women of childbearing age and families about actions they can take to help prevent birth defects. 
Join the conversation about National Birth Defects Prevention Month by following hashtag best for you, best for baby on social media and by visiting March of Dimes at marchofdimes.org forward slash BSIC.